Jack Rubenstein, alias Jack Ruby, had been involved in organized crime since his childhood in Chicago, working for Al Capone, Greasy Spoon Grizzick, and Frank the Enforcer Nitty. Involved in the murder of Union official Leon Cook in Chicago, Ruby eventually moved to Dallas, where he still worked for the mob. There are dozens of books that go into explicit detail of Jack Ruby's work he did for the mob. Heck, even the federal government doesn't deny that Ruby had major mob ties and worked for some big-time mob bosses. In 1947, Ruby moved to Dallas, where he shortened his surname from Rubenstein to Ruby. The stated reason for this was that the name Rubenstein was too long and that he was well-known as Jack Ruby. Ruby later went on to manage various nightclubs, strip clubs, and dance halls. He developed close ties to many Dallas police officers who frequented his nightclubs, where he provided them with free liquor, prostitutes, and other favors. Ruby never married and had no children. At the time of the assassination, Jack Ruby was living with George Senator, who referred to Ruby as my boyfriend during the Warren Commission hearing, but denied the two being homosexual lovers. Warren Commission lawyer Burt Griffin later told author Gerald Posner, quote, I'm not sure if the senator was honest with us about his relationship with Ruby. People did not advertise their homosexuality in 1963, end quote. Ruby wasn't a big man. He stood 5 foot 9 inches tall, weighed about 175 pounds, but he had thick shoulders and arms and he was fast. He swam and exercised regularly at the YMCA and was a compulsive consumer of health foods. He had an expression that dated from his street fighting days in Chicago, quote, take the play away, end quote. It meant to strike first. He usually carried a big roll of money, and when he carried money, he also carried a gun. Following the assassination, Ruby started stalking Oswald. On Friday night, November 22nd, Ruby was seen and photographed at Dallas Police Headquarters. On Saturday night, he anonymously called Officer Billy Grammer, who the next day realized the caller had been Jack Ruby. He called Grammer at police headquarters and warned him that if the police moved Oswald as planned the next morning, quote, we will kill him, end quote. Texas, the flash, apparently official, President Kennedy died at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time, some 38 minutes ago. This is Justin from Dallas, Homicide Chief Captain Will Fritz of today. The assassination case against Lee Harvey Oswald is cinched. He said flatly, this is the man that killed President Kennedy. 24-year-old Lee Harvey Oswald. Come on, President. No, they're taking me in because of the fact that I live in Missouri. I'm just a pastor. President. He's been shot. He's been shot. Lee Oswald has been shot. There's a man with a gun. Welcome to the end of Innocence. I'm your host, John Young. 
Ruby was seen in the halls of the Dallas Police Headquarters on several occasions after Oswald's arrest on November 22, 1963, for the murder of Dallas policeman J.D. Tippett. He was present at an arranged press meeting with Oswald. A reporter asked Oswald, quote, Did you kill the president? End quote. And Oswald answered, his voice breaking, quote, No, I have not been charged with that. In fact, nobody has said that to me yet. The first thing I heard about it is when the newspaper reporters in the hall asked me that question, end quote. A reporter told Oswald that he had been charged with the president's murder, and Oswald reacted shocked. You killed the president? No, I have not been charged with that. In fact, nobody has said that to me yet. The uh, first thing I heard about it was when the newspaper reporters in the hall uh, asked me that question. You have been. Nobody said what? Sir? You have been. Nobody said what? Okay, man. Okay. In that recording, the voice you hear in the background that says, Nobody said what? Nobody said what? That's the voice of Jack Ruby. If you go and look up that clip on YouTube, when Ruby shouts, Nobody said what? twice, Oswald glances at him and has a look on his face like, What the hell is he doing here? Newsreel footage from WFAA-TV in Dallas and NBC shows that Ruby impersonated a newspaper reporter during a press conference held by District Attorney Henry Wade at Dallas Police Headquarters that night. Wade briefed reporters that Oswald was a member of the Anti-Castro Free Cuba Committee. Ruby was one of several people there who spoke up to correct Wade, saying, quote, Henry, that's the Fair Play for Cuba Committee, end quote. Is he a member of any communist front organization? Ruby later told the FBI that he had his loaded snub-nosed Colt Cobra revolver in his right pocket during the press conference just waiting for a chance to get to Oswald. Oswald ran the gauntlet of police and press. One of the officers made the comment that Oswald didn't act like someone who had just shot the president. In fact, officials noted that Oswald, who was certainly on his own in a desperate situation, was amazingly calm and self-assured. Except for the arresting officers, I was the first investigative officer that talked to him. He said he hadn't shot anybody, hadn't shot an officer or anybody else. And the only thing that he would admit to was hitting an officer in the mouth. He said, nah, we, our cop in the mouth is the way he put it. He said, I won't admit to hitting a cop in the mouth. But he said, I won't admit to uh, shooting anybody. And his answers that he would give to questions were almost like they'd been rehearsed. I work in that building. Were you in the building at the time? Naturally, if I work in that building, yes, sir. Back up, man. Now they're taking me in because of the fact that I live in the Soviet Union. Did you shoot the president? It is likely that Lee Oswald was never supposed to leave the book depository or the Texas theater alive. Because he survived through the assassination, the Tippett killing, and his arrest at the theater, police now had a suspect who could probably prove his own innocence and pass a lie detector test. Any conspirators in the president's murder had a great deal to gain by silencing Oswald, who could have had advanced knowledge of at least portions of an assassination plot. Jack Ruby, perhaps under orders from the mob, was ordered to keep Oswald permanently quiet. Believe it or not, while at the Dallas police station, Jack Ruby distributed business cards that advertised the attractions of his carousel club to police and newsmen over the weekend of the assassination. It was highly possible that Jack Ruby had direct orders from the mob superiors to kill and silence Oswald. 
His warning call to Officer Billy Grammer was perhaps an attempt to create a situation where he would not have access to Oswald and would not have to kill him. This tactic, which might have cleared Ruby with the mob, did not work. Still trying to avoid a confrontation with Oswald, Ruby showed up at the jail one hour past the prisoner's scheduled transfer time, but the authorities held up moving Oswald, perhaps coincidentally, until Ruby arrived. On the day of the Kennedy assassination, Jack Ruby, according to his own recounting of the day's events, had gone to the Dallas Morning News to place his regular advertisement for the Carousel Club at approximately 11.10 a.m. Sometime around noon, he ran into a news employee and friend named John Newman and talked to him for a few minutes. Thereafter, he noticed several people assembled in front of a television set and joined them. That is when Jack Ruby claims he first learned of the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. According to his own statements, Ruby proceeded to go home and to call his sister Eva at her home. He related that, on telling her the news, she became hysterical. He told her that while he had been at the newspaper office, the phone was ringing constantly because people were complaining that the Dallas Morning News should not have run a black-bordered anti-Kennedy ad that had been placed in the newspaper that morning prior to the assassination. He said that John Newman, who Eva evidently also knew, agreed that the news should not have run the ad but said that his superiors had made the decision and that there was nothing to be done about it. Ruby then called Andrew Armstrong Jr., the handyman at the carousel club, to tell him that he would soon be there. He then supposedly drove to the carousel club. When Ruby arrived at the club, he told Armstrong to call the rest of the employees to tell them that they wouldn't be opening the club that night. He then returned to his sister Eva's, where he telephoned the morning news composing room and instructed them to change his ad to announce the closing. There is evidence that Jack Ruby went to Parkland Hospital instead of directly to his club on the day of the assassination. One of the best books about Ruby is Seth Cantor's The Ruby Cover-Up. Cantor worked for Scripps Howard in Dallas in the early 1960s and had contacts among Dallas police as well as local mobsters. He and Jack Ruby had a conversation at Parkland Hospital soon after the president's shooting. They discussed whether or not Jack should close the carousel club out of respect for the president. Cantor told Ruby that it would be a nice gesture to do so. He again spoke with Ruby at a press conference held by Dallas District Attorney Henry Wade, during which Ruby corrected Wade when he referred to the Fair Play for Cuba Committee as the Free Cuba Committee. Cantor was also in the police department basement when Jack Ruby shot Oswald. He testified about all of this to the Warren Commission, which made little of the revelations. Parkland Hospital, minutes after the tragedy, one member of the press corps who knew Jack Ruby well was to have an extraordinary encounter. Reporter Seth Cantor. Just after I entered, there was a group of uh, nurses and doctors uh, standing around with a lot of concern, and Jack Ruby came up to me. He said something to the effect that, isn't this just terrible? And uh, he, looked, he looked as if he was extremely distressed. I shook hands with him, and uh, uh, I had known him previously. And uh, Ruby asked me what I thought about his closing his places of business uh, for a day or two out of concern for what had happened. And I told him I thought that was a good idea, and to please excuse me, I had to go on. I guess that encounter with Ruby took maybe 25, 30 seconds. It was very clear to me who I had talked to and uh, who I had uh, called by name and who had called me by name and who I had shaken hands with and everything. But when the Warren Commission report came out, they said that uh, probably under the stress of, of everything that was going on, that I, uh, I most likely was confused and that I talked to Ruby at the police station several hours later. 
Ruby denied he'd been at Parkland, and the Warren Commission believed him rather than Seth Cantor. I was dismayed when I picked up my copy of the Warren Commission report and discovered uh, what, what they had decided about my testimony. And um, among other things, I immediately began to wonder, you know, who else they had talked to, who they chose not to believe, and why. Ruby claims that on Friday night after the assassination, he called his synagogue and asked what time the evening Sabbath services were to start. He was told that there would be a special memorial service for President Kennedy that night. He went home to dress, arrived late for the service, but stayed afterwards and spoke to Rabbi Heli Silverman for a few moments. After the fact, friends and relatives noted that he expressed his sorrow about the death of President Kennedy. At 11.15 p.m., he went to Phil's Delicatessen and told Dick Counterman to make up sandwiches. While he waited, he called homicide detective Richard Sims at police headquarters and asked if he wanted a sandwich. Sims said they were winding up everything for the night. Ruby then went to the police station around midnight, took the elevator to the second or third floor, and asked some policemen if they had seen KLIF radio broadcaster Joe Long, whom he knew. As he stood in a hallway, Lee Oswald was brought out of a room. Ruby later claimed that that is the first time he'd ever seen Oswald. There are now close to a dozen witnesses that say Ruby and Oswald knew each other well before the assassination. They were seen together numerous times at Ruby's club. Rumors that Oswald was being mistreated had been started by members of the press. Chief Curry wanting to show the world that Oswald was alive and well had arranged for the press to see him in a hallway around midnight of the day of the assassination. This was intended not as a press conference but as a viewing of the so-called assassin. When he was presented, several reporters asked if there was a room or a place they could gather. The authorities said they could go down the assembly room in the basement. There, Oswald made his first post-assassination statement to the press. Quote, did you shoot the president, end quote, he was asked. Oswald stated, quote, I didn't shoot anybody, no sir, end quote. All the while, Jack Ruby was hovering in the background. Ruby is seen there by numerous newsmen, and he is also caught on tape by a Dallas television station. Ruby claims he left the police station and drove to KLIF offices to meet with this jockey Russell, the Weird Beard Knight. Approximately two hours later, he went to the offices of Dallas Times-Herald to bring a twist board, which was a novelty item that he distributed to a friend, Pat Goddish. In the composing room, he demonstrated the board to a few people. The subject of the Black Border Dallas Morning News ad came up, and the men discussed the rumor that the phones at the news were ringing off the hook with people canceling their subscription and ads. On the morning of the assassination, President Kennedy got a warm reception in Dallas, but shortly before Kennedy's arrival, hundreds of leaflets distributed along the motorcade route accused President Kennedy of treasonous activities against the United States for betraying the Constitution and for turning the sovereignty of the United States over to the communist-controlled United Nations. A full-page ad in the Dallas Morning News that day welcomed Mr. Kennedy, not President Kennedy. 
amongst other things, asking why Latin America was turning anti-American or communistic. When he got home, Ruby says he awakened his roommate, George Senator, around 3 a.m. Senator said that he had seen Jack's news ad announcing that he was closing the club. They talked for a while about the assassination. Jack told Senator that he wanted him to go somewhere with him. He then called Curtis Laverne, a.k.a. Larry Crawford, a handyman at the Carousel Club, waking him up and asked him if he knew how to use a Polaroid camera. Crawford said that he did. At 4 a.m., Ruby, Senator, and Crawford drove to the junction of East Ross and Expressway and took pictures of a billboard that read, quote, Save Our Republic, Impeach Earl Warren, for information right to P.O. Box 1337. It is unclear what motivated Ruby to photograph the billboard, especially at 4 a.m. in the morning. We only know that he went out of his way to do it. Somehow, the action doesn't fit with the official version of events, which tells us that he was in mourning for the president. Later on, on Saturday, Ruby drove to Houston Street, just past Elm Street, and parked his car. He walked down Elm Street into Deagle Plaza toward the Triple Railroad underpass and saw Patrolman James Cheney, whom he knew. Cheney had been riding on a motorcycle a few feet to the president's ride at the moment of the assassination the previous day. Ruby asked Cheney which window was allegedly to have been the sniper's nest. Cheney pointed towards the depository. Ruby walked up on the north side of Elm and looked at the memorial wreaths that had been placed in Dealey Plaza. At this point, there's some evidence, never confirmed, that he again returned to the Dallas police station. On the morning of Sunday, November 24, 1963, Jack Ruby shoots and kills Lee Harvey Oswald in the basement of the parking garage as Oswald is being transferred to the county jail. We're going to get to the details of all that next week. But were there any reasons for the Dallas police to have been worried about potential assassins making attempts on Oswald's life? There were three anonymous threats called in overnight in the hours immediately before Oswald was shot. One call was made to the local FBI office, another call to the sheriff's office, and the other to the Dallas police. The calls came from a man who did not identify himself, but he warned that a committee had decided to, quote, kill the man that killed the president, end quote. The Warren report doesn't tell us a whole lot about the threat received by the FBI. Imagine that. But the threat that was called into the Sheriff's Department, we do have a little more detail about it. According to Sheriff's Officer Perry McCoy, quote, At 2.15 a.m., I received a call from a person who stated that he was going to kill Oswald while he was in the process of being transferred to the county jail, and that he wanted the department to have this information so that none of the deputies would get hurt. His voice was deep and coarse, end quote. And then finally we have the third call that was placed to Dallas Police Dispatcher Billy Grammer on Saturday night. According to Grammer, he got a phone call that night saying, quote, You have to change the plan. If not, we're going to kill him, end quote. Billy Grammer personally knew Jack Ruby, and the anonymous caller said Grammer's name when he spoke to him. The next day after Ruby killed Oswald, Billy Grammer identified Jack Ruby as the anonymous person who called into the Dallas Police Dispatch that night. Grammer would talk about that phone call he received in the British television documentary, The Men Who Killed Kennedy. I thought I recognized the voice, but at the same time, I could not put a, a face or a name with the voice. And uh, as we talked, he began telling me that uh, we needed to change the plans on moving Oswald from the basement. That uh, he knew of the plans to make the move, and if we did not make a change, he, the statement he made precisely was, we are going to kill him. No sooner than I turned it on, and they were telling that Jack Ruby had killed Oswald. And I suddenly realized, you know, knowing Jack Ruby the way I did, 
this was the man I was talking to on the phone last night. At, at that time, I put the voice with the face, and I knew within myself that Jack Ruby is the one that made that call to me the night before. And uh, I think it was obvious because he knew me and I knew him, and he called me by name over the telephone. And seeing this and knowing what I knew and what he had said, then to me it, it had to be Jack Ruby. He made the statement, we are going to kill him. Uh, which leads me to believe that this was not a spontaneous thing that happened on the spur of the moment. He was watching Oswald coming out the door, and all of a sudden he decided to shoot him. I do not believe that. I think this was a planned event with him being the man to do the shooting. I had the honor of sitting down and talking to Billy Grammer at his home in Longview back in 2002. He said the one thing that he never could get off his mind was the phrase, we are going to kill him. So does this phone call implicate Jack Ruby in a larger conspiracy to silence Oswald? Another interesting tidbit that I learned that day talking to Mr. Grammer was he wrote up a report about the phone call and he gave it to Chief Jesse Curry. He said Curry looked at the report for about 10 seconds and said, quote, oh, there's nothing to it, end quote, and he laid it back down. Is it possible that the phone call made by Jack Ruby was him trying to get out of killing Oswald? Many researchers, including myself, believe that this is exactly the case. He didn't want to kill Oswald, but he was forced to do it. Billy Grammer would appear on KTBS-TV out of Dallas back in 2018 talking about the report that no one ever saw, the phone call, amongst other things. Billy Grammer of Longview says that he tried to alert his chief to information that could have prevented the death of Lee Harvey Oswald and the secrets that went with him. As the nation mourned the assassination of our 35th president, Billy Grammer and the rest of the Dallas PD began working long hours. Grammer was in his office in the dispatch division the night after. And that was when he got a visit from someone he knew, nightclub owner Jack Ruby, who was considered a friend of police. Ruby was known to roam the halls of the PD, including that night after Kennedy's assassination. Well, he was just like he always was. Grammer says they had coffee and talked for about an hour. He never once mentioned Oswald that I can remember. Lee Harvey Oswald. He was still locked up at the station. Later that night, after Ruby left, Grammer got a phone call from someone refusing to give his name. It sounded like Jack Ruby. But I don't know. He started telling me about uh, if we don't change the plans, we're going to kill Oswald in the basement. Dallas PD had told the public that Oswald was going to be transferred to the county jail by armored vehicle. What the public did not know was that armored vehicle was a decoy. Oswald would be hidden and transferred in another vehicle. This guy that called knew about that and told me about it. Grammer got a fellow high-ranking police officer to listen in on the phone. Then he typed up a report, and they gave it to police chief Jesse Curry. The chief picked it up, and he looked at it maybe for 10 seconds. He said, oh, there's nothing to that, and laid it back down. We said, okay, so we walked out. Billy had a bad feeling about that call he got. I remember when I got home on Sunday morning, I told my wife, somebody's going to kill Oswald in the basement of City Hall this morning. And she kind of laughed about it a little bit. Later, she woke him up to the news. I got up and went in, and the TV was on, and when I looked at it, the first person I saw was Jack Ruby. And I thought, oh, hey. <laughs> uh, I knew this was going to happen. 
Grammer says Chief Curry told FBI investigators the next day that he did not remember getting Grammer's report. Though Grammer says his fellow officer and two FBI agents stood by him. That report has never surfaced. When all of that happened on Sunday and Oswald killed, I think probably Sunday afternoon, the chief probably shredded that thing and threw it in the trash. Billy Grammer retired from the Dallas PD as a lieutenant in 1986. I'm Jerry May. Next time on The End of Innocence, the JFK assassination, we will track Jack Ruby's movements on the morning of Sunday, November 24, 1963. What was he doing before he shot Oswald? And then we will look at the second assassination that occurred that weekend in Dallas, the killing of Lee Harvey Oswald. We'll see you next week.